This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. So here we are, season three of Driven by Data, the podcast. I'm delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us. We've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way. So all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season three. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Chun Shiros, who is the SVP Head of Enterprise Data Science at Regions Bank. So Chun, thank you very much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me, Kyle. I look forward to the talk. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, pleasure is is all ours. So where we always start, Chun, is by asking our guests to give themselves, a, I guess, a brief introduction into their background and journey up until this point, if, you, uh, if you'd be so kind. Absolutely. So um, a little bit about myself. Um, I have been in data analytics for pretty much since the get-go. Um, I love data. I love technology and engineering. Um, I think my high, in my high school years, I select um, physics as my major, where it then can lead me to computer science and engineering and all that. So I have been a um, data person since the get-go. And of course, over the my kind of career years, I've been having different focus where I applied data analytics to. And I started in academic and where I have a research focus in um, engineering and statistics with the applications for cardiovascular medicine and surgery. In this role, I work closely with cardiologists and research scientists to design experiments, you know, um, collect patient data, um, establish hypotheses and run data models, eventually with the goal to really help our um, surgeons and cardiologists to help with um, best timing for surgeries, treatments for cardiovascular disease, and so on. So, mm-hmm. um, and then I, I really starting to realize that, hey, this is a field that has tremendous opportunities that can be applied to various different industries. And at the time, CCAR was a major focus at the banking industry here at, uh, at U.S. Then I joined regions in the model risk um, department to support the bank's model risk practice. And over the years, I have overseas models for C cars, um, balance sheet management, operations, credit underwriting, and marketing, and so on. So I have a really op- great opportunity to oversee a wide spectrum of how the bank is leveraging models, tools, and um, data to manage their business. Then I joined uh, the front line, the first line. Now I'm running the bank's data science and AI practice. So this is a centralized group that's within technology, within the enterprise data analytics organizations, where um, the group is responsible for um, the development of machine learning and AI services and products for all lines of business and uh, operations. So really excited for this role, have been um, in this role for a couple of years, and we have made tremendous um, really efforts and 
have seen great results on how um, products and services leveraging data analytics is making a bottom line impact. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a, that's a really interesting uh, overview. So thanks for that. Um, I guess, obviously, um, we have uh, an absolute ton of listeners from the US, but we also have many listeners from outside the US. So just give us the very high level overview of Regions Bank in terms of you know who you are and, and, and what you do primarily. Yeah, so Regions Bank really, um, it is a um, bank holding company's headquarters in Birmingham, Alabama. For those who are not familiar, Alabama sits um, above Florida next to Georgia, Tennessee, and um, um, a region has, you know, we operate in 16 states in the U.S., mostly focusing on the south and east and middle Texas areas. Um, so the bank provides full services from retail banking to commercial banking to wealth management to trust, um, stock mortgage and um, mortgage services. We really provide full services and um, and have been serving the com- uh, customers for um, a long time. Yeah, nice. And I guess in regards to your role and responsibility, and obviously the last couple of years um, running the data science and, and AI capability in a centralized function across the enterprise, what the what was kind of the responsibility? What, what have you been tasked with kind of hopefully achieving? Is to leverage data to create insightful um, messages, recommendations, um, actions that can really influence the business, help our customers um, with the better uh, banking services and journeys, as well as our bankers and associates to really help their jobs and make it easier and better leveraging data. But at the end of the day, it is measured by bottom line impacts, by our associate engagements, and by our capabilities to really take data products to the market with speed and yeah. scale. Yeah, I guess obviously um, the the kind of banking sector and financial services as a whole um, has gone through a lot of transformation with regards to data analytics and artificial intelligence. Um, you know, o- over the years, I guess in a traditional banking setup like regions what you know what 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 does innovation mean to you what what does good data innovation look like in in an organization like yours yeah um so i think in any established organization i think including bankings and other industries where the organization has been established for some time they're always going to be legacy processes or systems or ways of doing things that we always have been doing it. Um, So I think of innovation in this type of environment um, is new ways of doing things that will challenge the status quo to create new values and new um, revenues or cost save to the business. And especially in data innovations, I think of that as, you know, innovate and transform on how we use data. And data has been in the systems from day one where we operate, right? When we operate. But how we use the data to be more intelligent, to be more insightful and less complex through the process that is more streamlined and automated. And the results are, you know, action-driven and scalable are what I think that data innovations um, looks like in any of the traditional 
sectors, uh, either it is in banking or anywhere else. Yeah, you you touched earlier then upon the kind of the impact of of legacy, and I always find the conversation fascinating when you start to talk about how organisations use data to to innovate what they do, and often that comes back to more around things around process, right, and being more efficient. And I think speed plays a huge part in that, which you know I think we're now starting to 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 understand right which is 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 really really fascinating so i know obviously you can't give away all of your trade secrets and the secret sauce around you know what you do at regions um with kind of specific examples but i guess just more hypothetically in terms of traditional organizations and their use of data analytics and ai in a you know an attempt to transform and innovate and, and especially keeping pace with some of the the digital banking competition that 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 you have now um what ways are there that you know businesses that are more traditional in nature have been doing that is there anything you can allude to there that kind of you know helps the the more traditional businesses bridge the gap if that makes sense yeah um that's a very good question and i um that has also drawn a lot of attentions i think over the especially during the covid period where um, you know, the customers are are really migrating or have a much higher adoption rate into digital um, offerings. And I think that um, although, you know, these high tech companies and fintech companies have really set the, a high bar in terms of customer experience and really providing digital services that are that are very streamlined and and um, providing a services that is that is that is very attractive to our customers and with that our customers are setting a higher expectation to their banking partners right um i need this the same way as how netflix is providing me the streaming services and um you're right that we we should keep up with that expectation now i would say also that um traditional banking also comes with this um advantage in terms of their financial product offerings which it really is coming from the subject matter expertise as a um, um, in banking services. So with that, we have you know more sophisticated or tailored financial products that is serving our customers. That's one. Second is the second advantage really is the in-depth relationships that our bankers, our branch associates, our branch presence have and will continue to establish with our customers. So instead of seeing this being a competitions across like fintechs versus traditional bankings, I really see a great opportunity for partnerships. Now, um, how to make a success is where everyone is currently working through to, to figure out. And I think the key is in integration, right? Um, there is pockets of areas the bank does very, very well. We, we have really great um, subject matter experts, products and services and so on. How do we integrate with much more, um, you know, speed to market type of um, services or technology so that it helps us better innovate, faster innovate with, you know, products that goes to market with the, um, based on the response from the customers. How do we integrate those technology with the, you know, the ideas, the the, the products that, that we want to bring to the market? I think that is the key for scale up and success. 
Um, another thing really is that, um, you know, we, 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 we have seen success in the past couple of years on individual use cases and, um, you know, say we can create AI solutions to provide a specific, um, ways of solving a particular business problems that leverage certain set of data, leveraging certain set of AI capabilities, require some sort of technologies to enable it. But how do we scale it is where um, I think the differentiation, differentiated factor is um, going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, that's probably um, true of practically every sector, every business. You know, there's always pockets of really successful use cases, um, but trying to scale that across an entire organization or or enterprise of 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 any size um seems to be quite tricky have you managed to kind of put your finger on you know if the realms of data science and artificial intelligence might play a role in the future in terms of that scalability oh yes absolutely and it's going to be an important role and i would say that this is absolutely a team sport um you know, the old days where you're building a machine learning or a statistical models using your own spreadsheets and send the results through emails is no longer there. And it requires so much um, integration points, as I mentioned before, to make an AI solution successful, you know, let alone to really scale and making your organization a AI-driven organization. And that really requires us to really streamline those capabilities, have the mindset um, kind of uh, evolve towards more of a data-driven thinking process, but streamline those capabilities that to create values are really key for scalability. And data analytics definitely play an important role here on turning raw data, whether it's text, images, audios, videos, and so on, into meaningful outcomes are part of it. And that itself has a set of technology requirements, receive a set of business requirements. But where we see is that um, all this data can serve so much need, so much business use cases. How do we streamline our underlying capabilities, connect with our core technologies and um, modern stacks with the operating model that allows us to streamline, to con- to break silos, and then ultimately serve that holistic journey where customers start with acquisitions all the way to risk or retention and so on. The entire journey is, you know, is seamless in front of our business, I'm sorry, in front of our customers, but behind the scenes, we have an omni-channel view of the customers where they where wherever they are banking with us. And that that is where scalability is going to happen. It's where we can really consolidate and streamline capabilities, data, as well as teams to um streamline the teams to really work together towards that common goal of a seamless customer journey. Yeah, absolutely. What what kind of have you found to be the kind of core challenges around trying to reach that level of 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 scalability i know there's you know uh, it's subjective to each organization right but i guess just from experience uh, there being anything that's kind of you know um stuck in your mind as some of the the main blockers to preventing scale 
Yeah, I think that um, it is really a new um, kind of new areas to tackle. So I would say challenges is because it has not been done and um, being you know journaled or being in textbooks already. Yeah. Uh, thoroughly, right? So everyone is learning their ways through trials and errors, and through that process, um, you know, we we find certain ways that work, certain ways that don't. Um, I think starting with more of a, hey, how do we make the AI solutions that is going to solve the business need, and then the business is going to adopt it, which then leveraging the product is going to then eventually create values, right? So adoptions are. Pretty much, in my opinion, is the first um, task to solve is make sure that what we created as a developers are getting used. Once that is done, then let's think about, okay, how do we multiply that impact? And that's where the technology enablements, the data literacy training, the mindset shift to make a mass impact of solutions to business decisions is going to require and once that is, and you know, your credibility established at the, your use cases level are going to have a huge influence. Now, organization needs to have a strategic focus on leveraging data analytics and digital for innovation. And that needs to be expectation coming in. But I, I think it is a, it, it continued to evolve. And I have seen tremendous improvement um, as, you know, various different industries are under, starting to understanding whether it is banking, medicine, or education, transportations, and supply chain, all of that. They are learning their ways per how their business is reacting and their customers are expecting. Um, and I, I think the challenges are, you know, we used to have challenges of compute and lack of data. Now we still have the challenges of compute and data, but we are further more deeping into how this is, is translating into business values and how do we make it scalable? Um, I think we're, we're learning and we're growing as a, as a data community. And I, um, I see great bright futures as how this can really make a massive impact in our yeah. business. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I think very rightly our focus now is on how do we, how do we, you know, innovate and transform and scale some of the things that we've realized and understand now how to, to do to ultimately drive us more towards, you know, business impact, right? And kind of impacting the the bottom line as as you very rightly put it. So that makes perfect sense. I guess one thing that always fascinates me from the conversations that that I have um on a daily, weekly basis, Chun, is the kind of the notion of prioritization, right? Because every business pretty much in the world now is looking at how they can leverage data science and artificial intelligence to innovate, help improve processes and you know efficiencies and speed and all of that type of, of, of stuff, often from experience where they struggle to kind of um kind of get a grip on what they're trying to do is is where to prioritize versus you know the the infrastructures of what they've got available to them to perform artificial intelligence projects versus aligning that with a strategic objective of of the business right so they don't kind of land in this middle ground of just doing ai for ai's sake on something that isn't going to land within the business um have you got any kind of thoughts or hints or tips around how to kind of align those two areas 
Yeah, man, this is a really very interesting question in the way that it is so real in business that um, you know, I I think there is there is a there is a trade-off between benefit and cost, right? And sometimes AI solutions, developing a innovative solutions can be costly. It can lead to failures um, almost certainly for certain projects. So how do we balance and how do we prioritize? I think there is, you know, this, there's always a framework where we should aim towards what is your strategic end goal of what we are trying to do. Because at the end of the day, AI, data science, machine learning, all of these are just tools to serve a business purpose, which eventually is to serve our customers. So um, prioritizing the need based on the customer's needs are, to me, the, the, the North Star. And what does our customer needs, right? How do we then serve them faster with a less frictions? How do we protect our customers? So there's multiple prioritized projects that we are currently focusing on. One is personalized journey for our customers. And second is to protect our customers. Now, with that focus, right, we know, okay, how do we go about doing that? We need real-time capabilities to prevent fraud from um, occurring, right? So that requires machine learnings and a much more advanced, sophisticated um, uh, algorithms to detect with the real-time capabilities of data streaming and flowing and scoring. And then from a personalization standpoint, right, there is also this omni-channel um, uniform view of our customers that is required in order to really bring that um, personalized um, services to our customers. With that angle of how we want to best serve our customers and where we wanted to start and what is most important to them, guide them to how we're going to go about doing that. And then here is where I think maybe the innovations, the notion also comes in as well, is how do we do it uh, currently? And does it work? Does it not work? Why does it not work? Where can we improve? So we're not here to say, get rid of everything that's in the past because nothing, you know, that to me is not how we should be innovating, but that how do we understand better of the current workflow such that we can help improve those bottlenecks where it takes more time, maybe it's retrieving data, maybe it is, I don't know how to prioritize this 10,000 customers to make our call planning. And that's where AI and, and data science can help to help prioritize. Now, you know, at the end of the day, we also have so much AI projects that are that are required of us with a limited amount of resources. And that's where, you know, scalability is so important such that we can't do um, more with less time and resources because we build upon what's already been built. And there's less of the complexity caused simply because of the process is cumbersome. So yeah, um, and I, I think that it started from the value and the customers and the priority from the business. Go back then to understand where can we improve and where can we move faster than uh, the previous one. I think it's it's really how we sh uh, we are and continue to prioritize our projects. Yeah, absolutely makes makes perfect sense. I guess in regards to AI in its mm -hmm. entirety, obviously um, we're starting to you know move into this world now where organizations have had some success 
with it um and they're also now having to start thinking about some of the you know the trade-offs between innovation and the ethical side of of artificial intelligence and you know this whole kind of combustion around responsible ai as we're as we're now referring to it how, how do you, you know what parameters or guardrails do you have to put around your data science and ai practice to ensure that you know this is being done in the right way and it's you know it isn't abusing any you know any ethical guidelines as it were yeah well that is a very important question Carl. and i i think we we can't talk enough about it because um as we see the revolutionary impact that ai could and will potentially bring to humanities right um in in where i am in every step of the journey where customers going to intact uh with their um, banking services, it is going to be impactful of how we're using AI. So we got to be very mindful about how do we use it in the way that is best serve our customers. And so we should go to great lengths on making sure that trustworthy um, AI solutions are going to be the goal in every step of the development cycles and rollouts and usage. And um, you mentioned about guardrails and frameworks that we put in. Um, I will start with model risk management. And this is a very mature function where, um, you know, we have very solid practice on, in, especially in independent from the developers to ensure the models are built soundly, data are con well controlled, outputs are well used and used for its intended purposes. Ongoing monitorings are a key elements of model risk management. And then I think that from a um, governance standpoint, we have a um, multiple prone approach where the development and the usage of the AI should be governed by a broader ownership and accountability within the organization. It is not solely the, uh, the developer's responsibility. It is not solely the risk partner's responsibility. It is also part of the business on proper use of the AI solutions for its intended, um, how it's being intendedly built. So um, it is a broad, uh, is a governance structure with broad ownership and accountability. And then we have um, a whole process of rigorous testing through the entire development cycles. And that really, I think that a lot of times AI sounds like so mysterious and so, um, so like you know, um, a Skynet is because it is so it is so black box, right? And you don't know what's going on in there. You bring a bunch of data in, you cook it, and then spit out some yes or no, and you don't know why. And I think that, um, and that might also create some notions of, you know, bias and um, fairness concerned, mostly because you don't, you really don't know how it is being built. And there could be uncertainties that you just cannot um, articulate. With that, I think the goal is to really create that transparency, increase that transparency. The more we can test and explain our AI solutions, the better we're going to build trust and credibility with our end users. And, and you know, I, I think a lot of, you know, um, you know, kind of focus on behavioral underwriting and some other alternative underwritings. 
a lot of times it stems from the, the lack of transparencies or understanding of how those behavioral data is going to influence your credit results. If we can really increase those, it's going to really buy more confidence from our end users, whether, um, you know, and, and including our developers. Our developers should be the one that most most understanding and care about how how do we come up with these results? How can we explain those to our end users? So rigorous testing was a major items. And then another one I think is extremely important beyond governance and testing is the diverse talents. And I, I think, the, you know, like I mentioned, notion of fairness and bias is sometimes it's the lack of understanding. And that could also be a social or a legal or a other non-technical concerns that we are lacking understanding of. Um, and so having a talent pool that is diverse with different perspectives and viewpoints can really bring you to light on, hey, you might need to consider various different aspects when you're building this because you might you know, not know about um, the impact of this particular features or variables that might lead to a amplified bias um, based on historical um, data. So um, I, I think it's a, a feel also continues to evolve as P, uh, as this AI solution become mature and making bigger impacts. Um, and we we are we are just adapting along the way and be really sure that we're on top of um, what we do from a responsible AI standpoint. Yeah, the the diversity of talent piece obviously is something that I'm extremely close to and um, fairly vocal about because I still think in relation to this, it's it's so important because I think what you know often organisations um, you know not not maliciously but they they start to look at diversity as you know a quota or a metric or a box that they need to tick so that you know their their workforce looks diverse maybe you know and we start to talk more there about representation and in the context of what we're talking about here it's it's diversity of thought right and diversity of thought comes from having people from different ethnic backgrounds different genders whatever the case may be but that's that's really important that i see you know so many organizations miss you know and when we're talking about getting the balance right around kind of some ethical AI type of, of kind of frameworks or stances. I think it's, it's so important um, for, for sure. In terms of artificial intelligence, then with, on the one hand, you know, we're looking at this as the thing that's going to drive innovation for the, for the future, for the next several years, which obviously is a really exciting place to be in as a, a leader within the artificial intelligence space. I'm sure on the other side, we're starting to now talk about, you know, um, ethical AI and, um, you know, the, the ethical side of things and the risks associated with bias and what happens when that goes wrong. So, you know, we, we're kind of creating this um, th this gap now between excitement and through innovation, but also absolute fear through the potential risks. How do you get that balance right with the kind of stakeholders, you know, your bosses, as it were, and, and then into the kind of exco level in terms of, you know, getting the balance between straddling, making sure we are innovating with artificial intelligence, but, you know, almost, um, you know, putting out their fears in regards to what could go wrong. Yeah, that's a very good question. I would maybe put a um, 
bold statement or a bad news here first that failure is absolutely guaranteed uh, yeah. to a lot of patients, right? Otherwise, it's not such a um, intriguing word that everybody chases after, especially, you know, uh, it, it really creates a lot of excitement when we talk about innovations, excites a lot of um, um, very advanced, um, a lot of our data scientists. I, I wanted to innovate. I want to do things that are different than what we have been doing before. Um, and that means that you are a trailblazer and there's no guarantee that there is a great view outside of that trail. Um, so I, 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 you're absolutely right that, you know, there is a balance. And and I, I think that a lot of times we innovate out of the sake of innovation, right? We, we just wanted something different so that we we might potentially get to a better promise in the future. But I, I really think of innovation that is much more structured with parameters around it. And it has to have a strategic, um, it has to be strategic with a, a vision, like this is where we want to achieve and then build path towards it. And um, I, I love the ideas of systematic inventing and inventive thinking where, you know, it is not a, instead of having a ton of random experiments that you hope the quantity will eventually lead to quality, instead have a framework where you leverage certain, you know, um, thinking tool like subtractions, multiplication, things that take, like I mentioned earlier, that Understanding the current workflow, then think about what can we take out and things still okay. What can we add? What can we rearrange the factors that will lead to that vision, that future? So I think having parameter setting around how you go about innovating and what can we say yes to innovate or no, which, you know, where the ethical challenges comes in and should be guiding that yes or no question. And then you mentioned about, um, and I, I confirmed that uh, failure is almost certain in innovation. Then how do we go about reacting to it, right? Um, it, is the culture allow you to fail? If not, you really are just operating, not innovating. And how, how can we create this framework where we also allow failures and guide the post-failure reactions on learn from it, understanding it, eventually then really slowly leading to that vision. Uh, and I, I, this is where uh, I think that we should strike the balance between innovation and ethics, both on what to say yes or no to the ideas, and um, also how do we react to the failures as we continue to learn and knowing that it's a guaranteed um, results at the early phase. Yeah, I love I love that comment there. You know, operating, not innovating. If um, you know, if you if you're not in an environment where you're 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 able to kind of fail, that's uh, yeah, very very nicely put. Um, sticking with the kind of topic of balance, then obviously traditional banking, one of the most highly regulated environments in global business, if not the uh, or you know one of for sure. How do you get that balance right in terms of trying to be on the front foot and innovate and look at some of the offensive type of projects and initiatives that you can undertake um, versus, you know, the the defensive mitigating risk type of, of projects that, you know, traditional banking has forever really been 
living in fear of, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, compared with some other retail um, business, banking is definitely um, more scrutinized and or from a you know um, regulation standpoint for a good reason. Um, but I usually approach um, ideas or projects less coming from whether it is a defense project or an offensive project. Um, I more think about it as a product and how we benefit our customers. And that could be protecting our customers, the you know, preventive um, effort, say fraud detection, for example, is a major use case on uh, leveraging AI and data in banking industry. And um, protecting our customers' data, protecting our customers' money, protecting our customers' you know information in our system are a major use case um, from a uh, advanced analytics standpoint. Then on the other, and also liquidity, for example, is a major um, focus from from protecting our customers and helping our customers to achieve financial wellness, um, preventing their default events, and so on. Those to me are all um, not necessarily defense, but all protecting our customers eventually to the same vision and goal of better serving our customers. On the other hand, um, you can be more offensive in sense of, um, you know, acquire new logos, acquire new customer base, go out and outreach through marketing analytics. Um, leveraging recommender systems and so on. Those are very much more like expanding and really growing the market, deepening your 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 relationships and share of wallets. So I think the combination of the two are almost absolutely necessary in order to create this full um, customer experience. Otherwise, it is going to be challenging to retain and um, by just bring them in and without having really a a full services. So I think of both sides kind of holistically to, together. Yeah, it's really interesting because I guess everything that you're describing there is you know, quantifying um, the impact is really what you're measuring, right? Whether irrespective of whether it's a kind of offensive or a you know defensive um, initiative, which yes. which makes yes. perfect sense, yeah, absolutely. Um, revenue gain or um, cost save, or but also you know customer satisfaction, right? How how do they feel like they're being served and being serviced? And um, this is really coming from you know your customer, you know their financial need, you provide the right educations and the right um, financial services, which doesn't necessarily limit it to products or anything. But how can we better manage my accounts to? you know, realize financial independence and so on. These are all things that um, we do and data can help both from a defense and offense standpoint. Yeah, yeah, makes perfect sense. I guess, um, just conscious of, of time, Chun, but where I um, would love to finish is on the notion of kind of, you know, tying together culture and adoption and literacy. And, you know, there's, there's been some um, obviously very, publicized research done in this space around you know those types of things typically being um the areas that are letting us down uh, in terms of you know getting these things adopted and used and being able to kind of quantify the the impacts from them the flip side of that conversation often is that you know the more 
innovative the potential solution uh the easier it is to kind of get intrigue from you know ceos coos the the board um as it were to to kind of you know get buy-in to do those types of, of initiatives so i'm just keen to kind of get your thoughts in terms of you know how you've developed that culture um you know over your career and you know whether you have found that ai projects do tend to get a little bit more buy-in and, and, and interest from the powers that be that's a very good question and i I think that um, as I'm hearing this question, I'm thinking um, a phrase come to my mind is know your audience. And um, (laughs) I think we as data scientists tend to go in and explain what p-value is and so on. So um, you certainly lose your your audience. But um, I think that buying, first of all, let me just step back real quick. Someone, I think, mentioned this is that if you go to any of the organizations and talk to the CEO or C-suite, nobody will say, no, I do not want to become the data-driven organization. Nobody. Some are successful, some are not. Why is that? And I think that, you know, to get their buying event, in my mind, and I'm a very uh, strong, I'm a person that is strong bias, have strong bias for actions. So I believe that the continuous investment and buy-in really comes from the value creations and your credibilities and how you are able to demonstrate whatever you are doing to the organization is bringing that value that is going to meet those strategic goals. So um, if that is well done, then the project will get buy-in and you will have that strategic focus um, and, um, and and investments and support. So I, I think that um, it's really, you know, a value propositions where, you know, your, how your product is going to meet those strategic goals and really understand your audience and have a data-driven mindset, sorry, product-driven mindset where you are able to explain to your business partners how your AI solution is making their business better, faster, and more streamlined and more intelligent. And then it comes to the culture side. Uh, I think once that momentum starts to roll, culture change eventually to my experience is more of a mindset change and is how you do things. And I think it's hard for people to want to make a change without knowing why am I changing that, right? You got to show the benefit of it. And I think that once that is done, then you can implement some change agents or change management cultures or champions to help you move that mass forward. Um, and I, I, I think all of this is done through like more of a product management framework. And um, eventually the, the whole bank is going to have that um, experience that in, um, similar impact where the culture shift is going to start to happen. But I, 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 sitting here thinking, it's going to be hard for me to make a change if I don't even see the reason and the why, you know, to put in those efforts. So I think it's very important to demonstrate those values, which then gets buy-in, which then really able to um, perpetuate into um, various different corners. Then really, um, like I mentioned earlier, streamline your capabilities to build and then enable to build on top of that foundations analytic solutions, then really able to create a truly data-driven, AI-driven institution. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Makes uh, makes absolute sense. I guess um, 
to finish then, um, to put you on the spot just a little bit, where, where do you see the next kind of 12 plus months with regards to artificial in, intelligence? Have you got any any kind of insights or any trends that you think might, might be happening across the industry? Um, I was very impressed by Andrew's post on the 2023 um, notes, and I absolutely echo with a lot of the researchers and um AI pioneers when it comes to what are some of the big items that includes more of um, generative AI was uh, a major subject at the beginning of this year. But I, I think that as people start to have the technology enablements and, you know, realizations of how data is really behind the scene, analytics is behind the scene, I can see a bigger impact of AI and um and machine learning in our day-to-day life, whether it's banking or various different industries, then comes with it is more of um, the ethical and considerations. I think is getting matures. A lot of studies and um, and guidelines and policies are being established, and I see an adoption of it and of growing mature and and refined version of that, where it is going to create a much greater and safer framework and guidelines for how we should really innovate through the lens of um, ethics and making sure it's a way aiming for the better goods. Yeah. Better productions and impacts along with a more safer and ethical framework. Perfect. Well, Chun, thank you so much for giving up 45 minutes of your time today. It's been a, an absolute pleasure speaking with you as always. And um, yeah, I look forward to um, seeing how 2023 unfolds for you and Regions Bank. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kyle. And it's a pleasure talking with you. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, Please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these too. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week. Music